0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another sad and unfortunate post-game show, the forever mighty post-game show for your Anaheim Ducks. Tonight, we witnessed a sweep, and it's not in our favor. This was just not the way I saw this playoff shaking out for Anaheim. I'm assuming a lot of you listening and you, Eddie, did not see the Ducks getting swept in this series. But they went out on their shields tonight uh, to be as cliche as possible. They played the game. They should have been playing the first three nights and they only came to play tonight. And when you put yourself in a position to, to play your best and have your best game on an elimination night, that's tough.
1: You really need to
0: come with that the whole series.
1: Yeah, you do. And and I mean I the the only good thing and it's tough to think of anything good right now is that they didn't go out with like a whimper. They didn't end up losing, you know, 8 to 1 in this game. They went out and they had some fight. I I mean the the second shark school is, is disappointing. It was a weak one and it's right after the Ducks got right back into the game, but uh, the, I guess that's the you know, the bright light at the end of the tunnel is that they, they looked okay. They battled hard to, to finish off this game. But uh, there's no way anybody expected it to go this way. I mean, we thought it would be a six or seven game series. I, I, I would be hard-pressed to find anybody, even the most optimistic of Sharks fans, that would have thought that this was going to be a sweep. I mean, if you ask them all now, they'd probably say, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, we're definitely going to sweep the Ducks. But, I mean, nobody predicted this. And it It sucks. But, uh, you know, we're here. We're here to hopefully cheer you guys up, and we'll go as brief as possible through the, the recap. But it, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Ducks, to say the least.
0: Yeah, there's probably not a lot that's going to be happening. Well, at least that's what we thought. There's been a few pundits that have thought otherwise, which we'll get to in our postgame segment of the show. But let's get into our game here. It's Gibby versus Martin Jones. Who else would, would be in nephew? They're one of those guys despite Gibson being pulled in the 8-1 slaughter in Game 3. He gets the start as he he should. And we saw a weird call-up that happened the day before. Larson, Barra, they get called up. There was some, you know, rumbles around. Maybe there's an injury or whatever. But, you know, it just turns out the goals are eliminated from their chances of going into the playoffs as well. So why not have emergency backups? Super common. No injuries. Nobody was taking anyone's spot. Going on to the scratches for tonight, Kevin Bieksa, Cam Fowler, Corbinian Holzer, Captain Canada,
1: maybe <laughs> the last time I
0: say that, and Hopefully. Juan met and Troy Terry, as well as Jacob Larson. Those are your scratches. No lineup changes. Um, I don't know why there was no lineup changes, but whatever, it's kind of the way this thing has gone. Um, as you will see here, the Ducks just couldn't crack Martin Jones enough in this game. Eddie, let's hit the intro and get this rolling.
1: And to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner. Gets up center. Perry! Stupid! Oh! Corey Perry! William able to shake away from Solani. It's giving away to Solani Around the- Well, Gordon Bray brings up a good point. At least we don't have to ask about Troy Terry anymore. At least we don't have to wonder (laughs) why he's not in the lineup on a nightly basis. Uh, Taking some kind of positives, I guess, out of a disappointing day. Uh, We don't have to wonder why Troy Terry was brought into the Ducks lineup to play two games at the end of the regular season.
0: No, don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, Unfortunately, as he was not in the lineup to help this offense, um ducks came out with a pretty aggressive forge check early but of course there would be issues if the puck is turned over katorga sent it on a breakaway but john gibson was there good early stop for him i mean what else have we not said about his play just kind of been a night-by-night thing for gibson even into the regular season obviously it's why we've been talking about him being a Vesna candidate which he was snubbed uh, we can get to that in the post game um but Rand, or oh, <laughs> i said randy couture the ufc fighter <laughs> that's so funny. might as well bit. yeah it could have just been him anyway couture stopped on a breakaway by gibson and then unfortunately Sorensen, who's kind of been a thorn in the duck side untouched in front of the net collects a juicy rebound throws it into the empty net over john gibson if there was a scramble in front gibby tried to get over but in the scramble ends up falling forward and left that tire half the net up I don't think you can blame Gibby on that, but all of a sudden it's one to nothing, San Jose.
1: Yeah, we've pretty much said that on almost every Sharks goal in this series. Is you can't really blame Gibby on that one, and you know he, he made a good save off the rebound, and, and he had some trouble picking it up, but nobody's there to help him out. Uh, missed assignment from either Getzlaff or I believe it was Manson who was on the ice, and you know Sorenson has been. Uh, a surprise, I guess you could say, for the Sharks. He's almost uh, an Andre Kasher type of player, if you had to compare him with somebody on the Ducks, where he's that depth guy who is more of an energy player, but he's contributing on, on the score sheet for the Sharks. I mean, three goals in three straight games, and uh, he, like you said, he's been a thorn in the Ducks' side, and, and you know these aren't the guys you expect to score. Uh, the Ducks actually did a good job, again, of limiting chances from Pavelski, Kane, and Donskoy, uh, but the the sharks are so deep. You've got these guys hurting you.
0: Yeah, and it's it's strange too because he had three goals in this series in four games, and I think in the regular season he had he had five or less. I had to go back and look at the stats, but he did not have a hand like more than a handful of goals. He just came alive for whatever reason in the playoffs. Unfortunately for our ducks, but Gibson would have to stand on his head again, robbing Evander Kane after that. Go after some pretty passing by Pavelski. And then it's just been the same old, same old for the Ducks. Unable to break through the neutral zone. Sharks able to hem, helm them in their own zone. And then Donksquay gets tripped. Sharks go on the power play. Didn't look like it was going to be the best of games in the beginning of this period, Eddie. I felt like just looking at this, I'm like this is how it's going to go, huh? It's just going to be one of those nights where the Ducks are just going to give up chances and not have any fight. Um, is that kind of the same feeling you
1: had going through the beginning of this? Yeah, it looked like it. I, I mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't an awful period, but it was one where it was kind of mediocre, and you thought the Ducks would definitely come out a lot more aggressive. I mean, they started pretty good for the, about the first minute and a half of the game, and then obviously uh, there was a Kutcher breakaway, like you already mentioned, and then the Sorensen goal kind of sucked the, the wind out of the Ducks, uh, and they just kind of limped their way to the end of the first period. And, yeah, it was one of those games you're like, God damn, I mean, they need to come out here and they need to show some fight. I mean, their season's on the line, and we saw almost none of that until really the late part of the first period.
0: Yeah, uh, the biggest chance for the Ducks in that first period was Getzloff being robbed right on top of the crease after Perry provided a beautiful pass from behind the net. I mean, that's just been the story of this game as it would unfold the rest of the night, just things not going Anaheim's way. Great chance there by the captain, but Jones says no.
1: Yeah, and as everybody's pointed out already, in the chat here like Ruben said Jones was insane Uh and just everybody's pretty much saying and, and talking about how how Martin Jones has been so good in this series and I mean he hasn't been tested a lot I mean the Ducks had 46 shots last game but uh it wasn't a typical 46 save performance but in this one he, he was full value for his performance I mean he was great he was the number one, number two, and number three star probably in this game, the amount of quality saves that that he had. The Ducks were actually getting chances in front of the net, and that's what we talked about in the last in the last show, that they're going to have to go to the net, they're going to have to make life difficult for Martin Jones, and they did that, and Perry was was right in and around there, and I, I can't even count the amount of times he was robbed by Martin Jones tonight. He just wasn't able to finish.
0: I remember watching the game uh, when my wife sitting next to me, and she looks up, she starts watching. It was like in the second period And uh, she was like, can we just get rid of Perry? He can't bury the puck. Can you just bench him (laughs) for a couple of shifts? Just get rid of him from the the ice right now. He was pissing me off. It just the way it was. Martin Jones was just standing on his head and robbing the Ducks. Um, Getting into the second period, that's exactly what happened. Perry is just absolutely robbed by Jones. Raquel set him up in all alone after a spin pass from Getzloff, and he just can't bury it. I just don't know what it was. All of a sudden, the Ducks, like you said, getting net front presence, Getting rebounds on Jones, it just didn't matter. It, it just nothing mattered uh, for the for the Ducks' offense. Jones was just there to stop it all.
1: Yeah, and they're finally getting the slot chances, like I just said. I mean, they were actually getting quality chances from the middle of the ice, and that's something we hadn't seen all series. And they finally saved it, of course, for Game Four when they're on the brink of elimination. Uh, but Martin Jones showed up and and stood his ground, and you know he he's been a guy who's been streaky at times pretty much throughout his entire career, but he's had good playoff numbers and he's looked strong throughout the the majority of this series. And and he just saved his best for this last game here, which is what you want from your goaltender. I mean, he's going to have to step it up to a whole nother level, of course, going in against Vegas in round two. But uh, I mean, he showed why the Sharks put so much faith in him because he can have these types of games when, when everything's on the line and you're, you're looking to move on, to the second round and not, you know, not let Anaheim get back in this series. Uh, And he stole the game for them. Uh, To to you and everybody listening who was in our chat,
0: did everyone just kind of roll their eyes when they saw Nick Ritchie take that slashing call in the neutral zone and be like, there it is. There's the dumb (laughs) penalty. There's Nick Ritchie making a dumb penalty that he didn't really need to take. He's 175 feet away from his net and decides to slash somebody in the neutral zone. Um, I know I did. (laughs) I was like, really? Are you kidding me? But you know, fortunately for Anaheim, they're able to kill off that that power play, and then another big chance here. Gatsloff gets the puck after a poor clearing a tip by San Jose, a oh, rare one, honestly. I mean, you don't see San Jose turn the puck all turn the puck over all that often in this series. He gets the puck out in front to Jones. Perry can't lift it over the first time or the second time. Unbelievable! Just just not working for the Ducks here. Perry robbed again in front of the net.
1: Yeah, and I mean, that that one's difficult for him to get up because the, the puck's just kind of sitting there uh, right in front of Martin Jones' pads, and he's got a Sharks player pretty much all over him. I think it was Tomas Herodl or, or uh, Mark Edward Vlasic who was right over top of him. It's really hard for him to get that up there, but he's in the that area. That's where we've kind of expected him to be all series, and he hasn't been there. He's getting his chances, but Martin Jones, again, I mean, I, I put out a tweet during the game, I was like, just stop, just, just stop, please, Martin Jones, just let something in to make a mistake for once because he was just killing it. I mean, he was stopping everything the Ducks could, could throw at them because they were starting to finally gain some momentum in the second period and really showing some fight and some hustle and, and you know, really showing that the game was on the line for them.
0: You know, to hit the chat real quick, when I asked that question about Richie, Chase said yes. <laughs> Yeah. Derek Lockwood said yes. Jimmy says Richie needs to be gone. <laughs> Chase says when we had the momentum, just look for Richie to kill it. So, yeah, safe to say. And also they said at the at the, at the watch party felt the same way, too. So <laughs> makes me laugh. But uh, you're right. It's just the way it was going for the Ducks. And it was kind of tough. It was in tight for Perry. But, you know, yeah. you said even in our notes here, you put uh, expletive Martin Jones. F. Martin Jones. Um, <laughs> and I laughed about that because that was right after he robs Derek Grant in front of the net. I mean, what are you going to do? It just The Ducks were throwing everything at Jones. If this was game one, I would have been 100% okay with a loss. You did everything you yeah. possibly could. You created all kinds of chances in front. These were the kinds of games the Ducks were losing to San Jose in the regular season. I'm okay with that. But, I mean, just Jones just dominating here. And then the Ducks go back on the power play. Puck is out in front after a shot by Raquel Perry can't wrap home the rebound. And I just wrote, ah, I just screamed across. I remember yelling out loud and my kid like popped too. She was half asleep on the couch. It's just so aggravating to watch. And then, of course, the Ducks would appear to score as the buzzer went off. Getzloff gets slams home the puck laying out in front of the crease after it was thrown to the front of the net in the corner. But the buzzer, it was literally like, what, two-tenths of a second over the buzzer. Yeah. That was the end of that. Sharks retained the one nothing lead after two.
1: I, I mean that's you know that's typical, right? I mean the Ducks were, were having some momentum, they they're doing well in the power play and they finally banged one home. And and of course it's it's after time expires. I mean we'll get to it in the beginning of the third period too, but it's not the only time the Ducks had a goal overturned in this game and and for good reason. I mean they they weren't calls that uh, that shouldn't have happened, but I mean it's just a dagger really you're like oh they scored and and you it's kind of close and then you see the replay get slowed down and you're that close to tying a game you're two tenths of a second away from having a tie game going into the third period Uh, I mean just just a momentum killer and and, uh, you could see it on Twitter I mean everybody was was excited they thought they'd scored and then the energy just gets sapped out immediately after you see the replay. Well, I mean, they wouldn't be
0: disappointed if they wanted to be, you know, upset again in the beginning of the third period because the Ducks apparently score again on the power play. But it turns out that Getzloff didn't fully cross the blue line with the puck. I saw that on the initial play, and I was like, I hope they don't see it. I hope they don't see it. I hope they don't see it. <laughs> he, he, it just, he just didn't bring the puck across the blue line fully before the other forwards entered the zone. It's the call. Raquel's goal does not stand. It was a great shot. Went through Jones. It's offsides, it's the letter of the law, doesn't mean I can't hate it. That needs to be a plain, meaning once the puck is on the blue line, it's onside. You don't have to worry about escape being lifted, you don't have to worry about the puck being all the way across. I hate the letter of the law when it comes to offside, and it's only really been under the microscope, Eddie, since they created this offside challenge. And I know, I don't think it even was challenged, I think Toronto reviewed it. I don't have to go back and look, but I, either way, I hate it. I just They need to fix this in the offseason.
1: Yeah, I mean the broadcast, uh, the Ducks broadcast said that they just want to take it out completely, and go back to the old way. Which, I mean, I guess in in some ways the old way is better because you don't have to deal with this at all. I mean, you just go with what happens on the ice, and then it's whatever the ref's call is. But I mean, they would have missed this, and and I feel like, you know, I'm not still offside. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm not a fan of the the coaches challenge either. But I mean, if this was the other way around, I mean, we'd be happy that this got called back and uh, it was, ended up being an offside for the Sharks. But it, it, there, there's some work to do with the way they go about it because uh, uh, every call seems to get reviewed and, and, and probably more than 90% of them get called back if they're getting reviewed at that point because they're so close, right? So And a lot of times it comes down to, like you said, the skate being off the ice on the blue line or the puck not fully crossing or some guy... Uh, skating in backwards where he doesn't have full possession of the puck, just just weird ones that normally wouldn't really matter. But now that we're reviewing everything, I, th- I think there's some tweaking that definitely needs to be done with this rule because it's just getting ridiculous at this point, really, that, I mean, everything ends up getting reviewed. And, and I get this was a good call, and, and this should have been called offside like it was, but uh, it's just getting silly at this point.
0: Yeah, no, it just needs to, the wording needs to be changed in the rule book. The GMs yeah. need to get together with the competition committee and just make it so... Once the puck touches the blue line, it's onside. That's it. Once it yeah. once the piece of the puck is on the blue line, that's it. Whether it's in the air, it's a plane. It goes straight up and down, vertical. If they fix that, this goal counts. And so do a lot of other goals. And maybe four against Anaheim. I don't remember all of them. I I hate this rule to begin with. So, yeah. It's not the case, though. Ducks don't score here at the beginning of the third, of course. And then Sharks go on the power play, so why not kill the momentum there? But big stops out of John Gibson, again, as we've been saying, all season long. Ducks able to kill it off. The Ducks go on the power play, and it looks good. They get plenty of chances, lots of puck movement, aren't able to score. And then finally, finally, after all the hard work, two goals that don't count because they shouldn't have, but, I mean, everyone's excited about them. The Ducks are able to break through. Silverberg digs the puck, gets it to Kessler. Kessler feeds Cogliano. Cogliano buries it at the top of the crease. The Iron Man tying the game up one to one. Eddie,
1: finally. Uh, I mean, this line had finally got some offense going. They they were good all all series at least defensively for the most part. I mean, Game Three is a write off for pretty much everybody, but they they were creating things in this game, and then they finally got on the board. Uh, and it felt good. I mean, we, we had celebrated twice already in this game just to have it called back for good reason, like you said. And then finally, I mean, after this one scored, I was just waiting. I was waiting for some kind of review or for something, goaltender interference or something to, to just nullify this goal and get it called back because we'd seen it twice already. But it, it was exciting at the time because we're like, oh, I mean, the Ducks are still playing well. They're continuing a bit of that momentum they had from the second period. And they've got it tied. And they actually, you know, at that point, it felt like they could actually win this game. Because you know this is the best hockey they had played up up until this point in the entire series, and
0: that would be until a minute and 16 seconds later, though, when all hopes and dreams would be crushed. <laughs> Tomas Hertl is able to convert, and it's just a deflection out in front. This was a piss poor play by Anaheim, as we retweeted uh, our one of our favorites, Dmitry Filipovich. The Ducks unable to clear their own zone gets not able to clear it the second time. Raquel, guilty of it the first time. Turnovers in your own zone. Always come back to bite you. If you have possession of the puck in your own end twice and you can't get it out, just an awful sequence by Anaheim and it burns them. 2-1, to one, the Sharks have grabbed the lead.
1: I mean, this would be the goal that ends the Ducks' season, right? I mean, a greasy tip that squeaks five-hole on John Gibson. I mean, just... Just an awful way to look at this. Is going to be the game winning goal that ended the duck season, and we're going to look back at it and say, "Really, this is this is it. This is what happened. This is how it happened." Right after we would scored a goal, just a minute and fifteen seconds later, uh, it it feels like that's uh, that's what should have happened. I mean, really, that this is the goal that should end the duck season. The way that this series went, you know, it's not going to be a highlight highlight reel goal. It's not going to be anything credit really to the San Jose Sharks. It's just going to be a puck. They gets thrown to the net. It gets tipped through 5-1. Again, I mean, it's it's tough to blame Gibby on that one because you can't really do much when he gets deflected right in front like that. He's, he's in good position, and he just can't squeeze the pass together, and it squeaks through. And I'm sure I am sure i haven't looked, but I'm sure somewhere on Twitter uh, there's a bunch of people out there blaming Gibby for this goal and thinking that uh, Ryan Miller should have started in this game. I'm sure it's out there. You, you know it has to be.
0: Oh, of course it is. Of course it is. Everyone's got to blame John Gibson for something this uh, postseason and regular season. As long as he is in net and doesn't have a Vesna Trophy and doesn't have a Stanley Cup, it's always going to be why we trade Frederick Anderson and why are we starting Ryan Miller? So and we, have to, we have to look forward to that next season too. So because Miller's here next year as well, yeah, um, we can get to that in a minute. But uh, lots of pressure to finish out this third. I'm gonna make this really quick, Eddie. In fact, I stopped really taking notes because I was pissed off watching this game <laughs> and I was drinking beer. So I was like, you know what? I just I need to just relax because this is not the way i wanted to go out this year and i say i because i obviously i am part of the team <laughs> well you just, know uh, it, you just feel it as a fan you,
1: you met bob murray right. you're part of uh you're part of the group now you're part of uh, the inner circle yeah
0: yeah he shook my hand that's essentially that's a, essentially, day. Said, that's uh, a job uh, offer right
1: there <laughs> i would think
0: so uh he and i are pretty tight now i just that's, need to figure uh, out uh his number so i can get him on the show
1: it's an assistant um, GM role, right there. You're. Uh, oh, that'd be perfect. That's you're like making all the decisions I'd be now.
0: perfect for that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> be perfect. I'll just be, uh, I'll just, you know, be, be in his ear all the time about what to do, and he'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is great. Let's just let Patrick run the show." Ducks um, with lots of pressure in this third period, but just not the chances. I really felt like they had the majority of their chances in that second period and the beginning of the third. After that, it just kind of just wasn't going their way. They pulled Gibson. And it just didn't work. They weren't able to get anything. The Sharks came close a couple of times of getting empty netters. Let's just wrap this one up, man. It's the end of the season, end of the series. Unfortunately, our boys went out with all the effort in the world. Couldn't keep up with the Sharks in this one. They fall 2-1, get swept. I hate that. 4-0 in games to the Sharks of all the damn teams. At least it wasn't the Kings. Um, We're hoping that the Sharks would choke on that stick, as everyone likes to talk about with their meme it didn't happen. They move on and play Vegas. Good luck. I hope Vegas trashes yeah. <laughs> them. I'm now a Vegas fan. So, end of the season, Eddie. We made it to the end. We covered every game. How do you feel about this game overall? Uh,
1: I, you know, it, it's tough because if you look at the series as a whole, uh, it, It's it kind of overshadows this game. But I felt like this was the only really close game that we expected, right? This is the the fight that we expected. This is the type of game we expected between these two teams. Maybe you can say somewhat to, to game 2 as it was kind of a battle too. I felt like the Sharks outplayed them in that game. Uh but it was close. It was a close game. And then you have the write-offs and and the awful games and game 1 was just bad and then game 3 is just unacceptable in the way they played. So it it kind of over it just masks everything because we expected this to be a 6 or a 7 game series. And here we are getting swept by the San Jose Sharks, which we'll probably hear about for the next 10 years, no matter if they win the cup or not, and, until the Ducks and Sharks play again, and maybe things go the other way. I mean, that's they're going to hold this over us for a while, um, and it's just disappointing. I mean, like you said, good luck in the second round, because Vegas is a whole a whole other animal. I mean, the Ducks are a better team than the way they played, and not saying the Sharks got lucky, because they definitely played up to par and with a better team. Uh, but the Ducks weren't playing their best hockey. And right now Vegas is playing their best hockey. They're a fast team. And they, they played... I mean, the the, the the Kings were one of the better defensive teams in the league. They only surrendered, what, about... Was it three or four goals in the entire series? And the the Golden Knights swept them. I mean, they beat them at their own game. And, and still were able to play the type of hockey that they're good at. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with it. Uh, like you said, I'm going to be... Maybe not a Vegas for the Stanley Cup fan, but i definitely going to be a Vegas fan in this next round because it would be great to see the Golden Knights just sweep the Sharks as well, and they can just choke on all the brooms that they're throwing at us right now. Really? Yeah. yeah I really hope that uh,
0: Vegas wins the Cup. I'm surprised you're not saying them. You're going to go with... Some Eastern Conference. No, whatever. I, I, I you're think the Eastern Winnipeg, Conference man. time zone. Eh?
1: I honestly think Winnipeg. I, oh, no, I picked them in the beginning. Oh, stop. I think no. It's not even just because I'm Canadian. I honestly like. I picked Winnipeg in the beginning because I feel like I feel like they're the best team in the playoffs right now. I feel like they're better than Nashville, and I feel like you know, I just, I, I, I really, I really like Winnipeg as a team. I feel like they're they're going to do. it. I wouldn't be surprised with the way Vegas is playing if they went far. Uh, and they would probably give uh, Winnipeg a run for their money in the Western Conference Final, but uh, my money for me is on the Jets to take it all. Uh, I don't. You think and Daniel on missed. our chat.
0: Daniel says he wants Winnipeg to win it too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, he, Derek says Winnipeg is a great shot. Uh, they, they, uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about. I, I feel like they're gonna. They're, I, I don't think any team out of the East honestly stands a chance, other than Boston. And Boston has a lot of issues on their part as well, I think just going up against some of the Western Conference teams. So uh, I like the Lightning to some extent, but I feel like they have a lot of issues uh, that aren't really addressed. And and look out now, Kucherov might be suspended for them. I know they're up 3-1, but that's going to be a big loss because of his hit today on Sammy Votnin. So uh, I think... Was it? You think so? I didn't see it. It was very very reminiscent of of Dowdy. Yeah, but again, Daddy got suspended, right? So I feel like it's probably a a one-gamer, which hurts them because he also had two goals tonight, including the game winner. So that's going to be a tough go for them in in Game 5 against New Jersey. I mean, they'll come out of that series. I don't think New Jersey can come back and win three straight games to take the series from from Tampa Bay, but they've made it fun. They've been exciting games. Well, let's get back
0: to the abysmal game we we need to talk about in the series. We've got to talk about here. I don't, I don't want to go off on a rant about how great the other teams are, as much as I'd love to, Eddie. But we got yeah. to talk about our Ducks um, just to kind of bring it back in. Sorry to pull you out of the fun. But uh, the pre-game or postgame uh, situation is going to start now. Put a, put a cap on this one here. The Ducks, obviously we said they got swept, as we all know, and it's painful. Jones stopping 128 out of 132 shots in the series. That'll tell you right there. It's tough to win when you get outscored ten to two at even strength. I feel yeah. like that's a huge problem for Anaheim. Not able to convert five on five majority of their chances. I feel like we're in tonight's game, let alone across the whole series. So they had the most chances at five on five, at least from the eye test. I didn't dig into the analytics, but their best game was tonight. I don't, I don't know where to go from here. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff to look at. You know, coming at the draft because the draft is going to be is usually a big day for player movement, and then of course July first with free agent signings. There's not a lot of prizes or diamonds in the rough when you're looking at uh, July first. I mean, the big names out there, and then after that, it's kind of like who? I don't know if I want that guy. I don't. I don't even know the third line guy. There's no big, really big
1: names, for, you know, free agent wise the ducks can pick up, right? Not really. I mean, free agency is where the ducks are going to maybe add some depth guys or. I mean, the big names available are, what, Paul Statsny, Rick Nash, Joe Thornton. The Sedines just retired, so then, it, you know, you've got John Tavares, but that's not happening, Vander Kane. But I honestly think he probably re-signed in San Jose, just the, the way everything's gone for them and how well he's worked there. Uh, and then I guess the only big name that I could maybe see the Ducks going in on, but I, I feel like his price has probably gone up this year with the way he's played is James Van Riemsdyk. I feel like that's what about a guy real to,
0: deal James Neal. <sighs>
1: Uh, you know, I I don't know. I he started off so well, and, and then he kind of just tailed off. In, in twenty five goals, man. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not bad. I, I just I, I don't know if if I necessarily want him on the Ducks. I mean, he is a, a scoring winger, and that's what they're needing. But when you're looking at other guys available in JVR and possibly Patch Ready through trade, uh, I feel like those are better options. But I wouldn't hate it if they got Neil. I'm just not sure what it would cost, and I mean he'll be 31 the next year it depends on on the term as well right because you I really feel like the Ducks probably have this next year and that's pretty much it uh as a realistic cup window and if uh, any of these guys are going to want more than a one year deal so i just don't see how it happens i mean still the the most realistic option for me is working out some kind of patch or eddy trade because i b- believe his contract is up at the end of next season but uh, the price is still going to be high. So I don't know if agency is interesting because there are some guys I think you could help. I think the Ducks need to rework their third line a bit because they were non-existent in this series. And they were good at times when they were put together during the regular season. But then there was times where they disappeared. And they disappeared at the most important of times throughout this entire series. So that needs to change a bit. And, and that really comes with some depth players. And then I think the blue line, I, you know, a lot of people in the chat have talked about Pettersson, Walensky, Larson. If they're going to check in next year, with this being Boschman's last uh, year in the NHL and possibly the last season with the Ducks for Kevin Bieksa, what that bottom pairing is going to look like? A guy I always keep bringing up on this show is is Ian Cole, and he'll be a free agent again this year. So maybe that's an option the Ducks go. I mean, Lucas Pisa? <laughs> no, it, I, I'm not. No, I'm not being. I'm not no. being. I'm not being serious. But he's a unrestricted free Please. agent. I mean, the the. Defense market for free agents. I'm an unrestricted
0: free agent. They could pick me up. Yeah. I guarantee you, I won't turn the puck over as much as Lucas Pisa.
1: It's not great. The guys available. I mean, you're looking at names like Roman Pollock and Cody. France. They give you three. If you give, gonna give if I give, so you're going to give me three A Defenseman? Yeah, I'm going to give you three. No, no, no. I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you.
0: Th- don't look at cap friendly. Whatever you're looking at, okay. like just okay. hide your browser. Everyone, everyone in chat too. You guys, all chime in. I'm curious to see what everyone would rather have. So I'm going to give you three left wingers. Everyone's been talking about a left wing coming to Anaheim. We all know that Patrick Ease was a big signing to play on the top line. He's obviously, unfortunately, unavailable, and they think he's back next season. Nothing's guaranteed. Obviously, he has Gillian Barr syndrome. We're not sure how that's going to affect him. So with that said, I'm going to read you three left wings that are UFAs, and you tell me which one you'd rather have. You ready? Yeah. Okay. First one, James Neal. Second one, James Van Riemsdyk. Third one, David Perron.
1: That's uh, uh, that's tough because uh, I'm David torn Perron between, had
0: fifty assists. This yeah,
1: season. I'm torn between David Perron and James Van Riemsdyk, and for me, I kind of have to lean towards the, the goal scorer because you know we've talked about the Ducks' passing ability and how at times they've overpassed and they haven't been, been really have that guy they can look to to score goals other than Ricard Raquel. So I would go with. With JVR, but Perron's a close second because we know he fits here. The When he was here last time, and it was disappointing to see him go. We've got a bunch of people chiming in the chat. Derek said JVR. Quacking Steve said Perron. Gordon Bombay said JVR. Jimmy was talking about how Ian Cole would be a great pickup, but uh, it looks pretty much like everybody's talking, either JVR or Perron. I mean, Diane says, screw James Neal. (laughs) So so it it looks like a two-horse race between JVR, where he looks like the clear winner in the chat, other than uh, Quack and Steve picking David Perron. But I think both would be good options, honestly.
0: I mean, JVR is going to get some money, obviously,
1: because of his season this
0: year. He was able to put up 36 goals and 18 assists. He was making 5 mil at 28 years old. Looking at David Perron, he's 29. He's put up 66 points. I mean, 50 assists is nothing to you know to just slouch at and, yeah. and bypass. That's incredible for him. Um, and we know how he fits in here. We said, right? Yeah. Uh, we know that he fits in well on that top line. He played really well with Ryan Getzloff. I don't know what happened with the Ducks and he, and he the reason why he left and didn't want to come back. I don't know if the Ducks lowballed him or if he wanted to go back to St. Louis, which is, I believe is where he went before he went to Vegas. So it'd be great to see him come back, though. I mean, that was—I I had a feeling you were going to go JVR just because you're in Toronto. You want to upset all your Toronto fans? <laughs> you want to make all your Leafs fans, buddies, happy?
1: I gotta—I uh, gotta do and do the kind of the same thing here with you, but on defense. And I'm going to name three guys. And again, if you guys want to chime in on the chat and what, who you would pick, and I guess the price on these guys might be a little bit different, uh, kind of varying between the, the the quality of player here. So. The first one that would be Mike Green, because he's an unrestricted free agent this year. Second one, Jack Johnson. Third one, Ian Cole. Um, I would go Mike Green, 100%. You, how much do you think he's going to realistically cost this year? Because it was a big surprise that he didn't get dealt at the deadline, which was a, a huge misstep by the Red Wings not dealing him and getting something for him. He's probably going to go somewhere else. I think he was making about $6 million. He probably doesn't make that again, but he had a pretty good season. I mean, he had, uh, let's see here, he had 33 points in 66 games, played about 22 minutes on average per night. He was a big part of their power play, and he was a valuable player for them. I mean, he could be a guy that I, th- I feel like he's the best option for talent-wise available. I think he, he
0: solves the power play issue. Yeah. I mean, we saw how how ineffective una- how it was without Cam Fowler, and there were some issues there. And I know Green had an injury. And that was part of the reason why he was difficult to trade at the deadline for Detroit. Um, I'm not a huge Ian Cole fan, and I'm definitely not a Jack Johnson fan, like whatsoever. I know the yeah. Ducks were talking about him. Not a fan. Um, I would. I
1: just. Yeah, I
0: can't see that. I would rather go with what uh, Diane said, or Daniel in Chat, Eric Carlson, or uh, Chris Pronger. I mean, I, I love Chris Pronger. Just pull him out of retirement. <laughs> I'm all for it. Yeah,
1: I mean, you know, you had Derek and Gordon saying Ian Cole, Diane said Johnson, Chase said uh, Mike Green, but he's going to get money, and I think that's the big stepping stone. At thirty-two, for the Ducks. You think he's going
0: to make more than six million
1: dollars? There's no way he's No, no, he's not going to make three, more than right. I think he's probably going to get around four, because you, you know four, some man. you know some teams overpay in free agency, and when he's he's the number one D available, right? So he's going to get a decent amount of money because of that. And we always see that in free agency. I mean, guys get paid more than they, they should. And then the fact that he is the marquee guy for any team looking for defense in free agency, he's going to get paid more than he should. So, I mean, Gordon doesn't like it because he says Mike Green is whack. Uh, so um, Diane wants to bring back Chris Pronger so we can bring him over. Yeah, I was all
0: for that. 100% and, uh, on board with bringing back Pronger.
1: Jimmy says trade Doughty for Perry straight up.
0: <laughs> I'm sure the Kings would go for that. Everyone wants Corey Perry on their team. In fact, let's get to that. Yeah, That was an interesting tweet that you uh, had sent to me. I don't know if you retweeted it on our on our Twitter feed, but I uh, so. it kind of explained to everybody what's going on because we never thought this would be the case is what's being talked about right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we got proved wrong right after we talked about it on our last show. We said there's no way the Ducks are going to be able to move Corey Perry. and. Uh, We didn't talk about Ryan Getzlaff, but uh, that would be kind of in the same boat. Because of the no-movement clauses, because of the amount of money they have on their contracts. And then, of course, we get two comments the next day from Darren Drager and from Elliot Friedman talking about the Ducks' situation and what they would do if they got swept and went out with a whimper, or or even if they just lost in the first round, which of course has already happened, uh, that they might be looking to move Corey Perry or Ryan Getzlaff. Now, this isn't hardcore rumors that they're shopping them, but they were looking at possible options if it was to, to happen with the Ducks, if they could move them, and who would be interested. And there was apparently there would be a lot of interest in uh, not just Ryan Getzlaff, but also Corey Perry. And what they were stating is that a lot of teams are going to be in on John Tavares because he is the uh, r- really the only prize to be had in free agency this year. And Teams like St. Louis, the Sharks, among others, are going to be interested in John Tavares. And whether he signs back in the Island or if he goes to one of those teams, there's going to be a bunch of teams that miss out on him and are going to be looking for secondary backup options. And if the Ducks are really looking to move on from Corey Perry, um, that would be the guy. I I struggle to say Ryan Getzlap because I don't feel like that's a guy they'd be looking to move on from. But if they're going pure rebuild, that is an option again. But those are backup options for, for those teams, and, and for other teams that miss out on John Tavares. Uh, that's basically what they said, is that uh, other teams would be interested in them, they would be willing to take on the money, and it really comes down to the fact that if Corey Perry or Ryan Getzlaff would waive their no-movement clauses. And, and you know what? It's shame on
0: us, though, honestly, for saying that we don't see that happening as a no-move clause. I mean, it's so funny how we say that, but we talk about other players waving their yeah. move clause to go anywhere. We talk about, you know, Max already
1: waving his no move to come to Anaheim. It's like,
0: it happens. It yeah, doesn't I think happen for all me, the time,
1: but it happens. I think for me it was more about the money. I just didn't think, you know, Ryan Getzlaf's a whole different story because I feel like a team would take on that, the amount of money he has right now he, despite, you know, the $8.5 million contract because, you know, he's still producing. So for me it was Corey Perry it was I didn't know if anybody would want to pay eight point six two five million for the next three seasons for a guy that yes, he still hits fifty points, but he's definitely not worth that money and you don't know what you're gonna get, but maybe it's the bounce back. You know, maybe it's the uh the new scenery kind of story that we hear a lot with some guys. It's usually with the younger guys, but you never know. That could be what other teams bank on with Corey Perry, that if he gets in the right system or with a different team that he can become a 30-goal scorer again because that would be something the Ducks would definitely be selling to other teams if uh, if they were moving him is that if you get him in your system, there's a chance he can rebound and be that guy again. So Diane
0: says in the comments, I don't know if she's been sarcastic or not, she says, what's wrong with Corey Perry? I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times on the show before about how he's had to wear knee braces on both of his knees. He's had knee injuries across his career. Um, he's, takes, he's taken a lot of damage. I mean, for a guy that plays the style he does going to the front of the net, you watch a game and we talk about how much he's a much how much of a pest he is. He gets hacked and whacked and cross-checked and hit constantly. Yeah. That guy is taking – I mean, he and Kessler, I feel like, just take a, just a ton of damage in front of the net their whole careers. And he's just at that point – uh, he's 31, I believe, almost 32, which I hate to say is old cuz I'm only a year older than him or two years older than him at that point. So, but in hockey years when you take that kind of damage, it's just at that point in his career where things start to fade for that type of player. Getzloff, not so much, he's a bigger man, he doesn't play that kind of game as much. He's a nasty player physically, but he doesn't take a lot of damage and he's able to control the game with his play. He's a he's a very much a cerebral pro, uh, player. Um, I feel like Getzloff would be the guy that doesn't get moved. I, I feel like yeah. if they're going to try to trade anybody, they're going to try to trade Perry. Like, I think you would agree on that. And Perry in another, another city, if he's sitting on the second line or third line, that's fine. And that's where he is on Anaheim. So yeah. I, I don't know what they're going to get out of him unless they put him with another playmaker that's better than Getzloff, which maybe there's five more in the league that are better than Ryan mm-hmm. Getzloff. I yeah. mean, I don't think you're going to see Perry put in more than what he's doing right now. Um, the Ducks aren't going to get what they ultimately want because you can't get rid of something you don't want to get something you do want. You kind of have to get fair value. Mm -hmm. And they're taking on a huge chunk of a four, I think they have four years left on their deals. And Perry's making almost $9 million. The Ducks are going to have to retain salary, I feel like, to make a deal out of it. And maybe throw in a younger player if they want to get a good asset back.
1: Listen, like Daniel says in here, if we trade Getz, then it's a full rebuild. And I'd argue that it's almost the same thing if we trade Corey Perry because... You you just mentioned. I mean, you're not going to get what you want in return for him, and you're going to have to retain salary already. So, you what you're getting in return most likely is is some kind of package to look towards the future. And you're not gonna you're not gonna get the it's it, you're not gonna see a hockey trade with Corey Perry for a different type of player with the same caliber. I really I really don't see it, and and you're not gonna get the type of cap relief you're looking for if you have to retain salary where you can go out and maybe get two players. Like a David, like a Perron, or somebody else in free agency, where you can kind of replace Corey Perry's production with two separate players and add some more depth. I just don't think it's possible, and I honestly think trading Perry, if if it became an option, would signal either a rebuild or a retool by the Ducks. I, I don't see how it's anything other than that. Just like it would be if we saw Ryan Getzlaf get moved out. It, it's one of those types of moves where you're you're moving on from what you've had. And you're looking towards the future. And, I mean, the Ducks have a lot of good pieces coming up. But I don't see how you end up trading Corey Perry without signaling the start of a rebuild.
0: Yeah, especially because you don't have a lot of forwards that are going to be putting up 40 points a season yeah. plus that are coming up that are going to replace him. And we are already talking about moving Nick Ritchie and him not being signed as an RFA, you know, if we were Bob Murray and who would we put in his spot. You know, At that point, we're hoping that a Sam Steele or a Max Jones or a Comtois is able to come in and fill that role, and we both feel like Steele's the guy. But yeah. we don't know. You never know what you're going to get when a player hasn't been playing AHL or even AHL games, let alone NHL games. I mean, Richie lit up the AHL for his short stints there, and this hasn't translated to the NHL. So it's hard to read players. Um, where would you even begin to think to, of shopping Corey Perry? What, team? Yeah. Uh, I feel like moving Getzloff, I mean, Getzloff would be first center across the board on so many teams.
1: Yeah. You could get a
0: gigantic return for Ryan Getzloff. Corey Perry, I'm not so sure you can get what you think you're going to get.
1: No. There would be teams I think that would be interested at the forefront for me is is maybe um, Vegas as a team that would be able to take on most of his salary. You might have to retain a little bit. I, I kind of hesitated to, uh, on a little bit now because they did just get Thomas to where they essentially just took on his entire contract and added a bit more salary. And I feel like they're a team that probably jumps back in on Eric Carlson for next year. And that helps a bit more. I mean, they probably will. And they, they might, they might even get him because they were the only team apparently close at the deadline. So that, and, and with uh, another year under their belt of drafting some players at this upcoming draft, wherever they end up drafting, no matter what, they'll add some more assets to their cupboards. That they can maybe look at getting rid of a guy like Nick Suzuki or Cody Glass and sending them over to the centers, which is crazy to, to think about an expansion team who doesn't have a lot of prospects to begin with. They drafted well at the last draft. They have probably three prospects that are, are going to be good players that you know. Cody are gonna Glass be good is players. the big
0: one, and yeah. they don't want to get rid of him. That was no. one of the sticking points I heard in the trade is they didn't want to throw him in there for Eric Carlson. They wanted to and
1: good. and Nick Suzuki. Nick Suzuki, sorry, is no slouch either. He's been amazing with Owen Sound in the OHL and they drafted this uh, kid I think in the second round Brandstrom out of Sweden as a defenseman and he's a guy that's projected to be a top 4 power play quarterback in the National Hockey League. So they've got some good guys they've drafted well in their only draft that they've had so far and they'll add some more guys this year. So maybe they'll be more willing to give up a guy like that depending on who they draft. And it'll be interesting to see the way they draft at this year's draft. Maybe they end up going back and drafting another center and seeing what they can do with that, and, and possibly then adding Cody Glass to any kind of deal, but uh, yeah, I, I feel like they go when they try and get defense first, right? Because you look at that blue line, and yeah, they've done well, and Miller and Theodore have have been great, but uh, Derek Englund's not a long term option. He he was good this year, surprisingly. I mean, we laughed at the fact that that was the guy they went to from Calgary. And you thought you felt like it was just because he was from Vegas and that's why they ended up going and getting him. He actually had a good season. I think he played most of the season with Shea Theodore, and they were good. And that, and Brady McNabb was a good pickup from L.A. for them, too. So they've got a lot of top four young guys, but they don't have that marquee guy. And I mean, imagine this team with Eric Carlson. They're already a fast team, and you arguably get the best defenseman, or at least offensive defenseman in the National Hockey League, a guy who's not slow in his own right and can drive play probably better than anybody. I mean, that... That's a scary team w- already without him, and imagine him on that team. But getting back to the question, I mean, Perry would fit there. Maybe St. Louis is an option, but again, I think they're more looking for a center. So if Brian if Getzlaff was to be moved, I think that's the Rangers. a tough option. Yeah, the Rangers are interesting, though, because apparently they, they have locked up a deal with you know, oh, that's right.
0: They want Kovalchuk. Yeah, that's
1: so right. they, they yeah, scratch went that. Kovalchuk, and, and that looks like that's going to be the option for them. Honestly, I'd, I'd probably have to do a little bit more research into it and look into it, but I don't think a lot of teams can afford it. Maybe the Devils to add a little bit more scoring punch with Taylor Hall. I don't know if they can fit it into their system. The Ducks have worked out some deals with the Devils in the past, of course, most recently with. Adam Henrique for Sammy Votnin and, and sending Kyle Palmieri over there so it, might as well send another Duck over to New Jersey if that's going to be the case And I don't know there, I don't know if there's a lot of suitors per se for Corey Perry as there would be for Ryan Getzloff
0: Yeah, no I think everyone wants Getz, I mean come on uh, he's yeah. not going anywhere though, if the Ducks trade him I'd have a lot of problems with this team. I might have to uh, revoke my fandom for their for their, for a little bit there. I'd be really upset unless they got back some ridiculous return. I can't trade Ryan Getzloff in any scenario. Yeah. I just not happening. He's he's a guy who's drafted, brought up through this through this team, and he's you know hopefully going to retire a duck. That's just the way I see it going. I now. hope but they Perry, both do. Honestly, I mean yeah, but that means that means you'd find out that they're going to trade for somebody else. So let's let's move on to another example of what we've been talking about. Um, is it after the playoffs? Here we saw Nick Ritchie, and I know we can't. I mean, we can't really just bash on him because there was only four freaking goals scored in this yeah. series, and only two of them were uh, a five-on-five, on five, and one was a fluke. To be honest, the, the yeah. <laughs> Silverberg one was a fluke. Nick Ritchie, um. Do you think that they're going to try to trade him at this point now? I mean this is kind of what we got to talk about here because if we're talking about moving somebody bringing in a free agent, uh, how about moving Nick Ritchie and bringing in a piece? Maybe bringing in another blue line piece to help out the third uh, and, and develop more of that depth.
1: Yeah, I, again, I mean I think it's a package deal if you move out Nick Ritchie. I'm not sure what you're going to get for him in a straight-up deal if, if he's the big piece, right? If he's the headlining piece of any deal – you're probably moving him for picks or maybe a struggling prospect from a different system. And then you're, you're kind of hoping that a change of scenery for both of them would help out. And that's the type of hockey deal I would see for Nick Ritchie. It'd probably be for like a second round pick or something like that, or for another struggling prospect, or you package him in a deal with a different player, whether it be a Silverberg or an Andre cash or something like that. And you go for the big fish, you go for a patch ready, you go for somebody of that nature that's going to be available at the deadline. And, and try and add that bona fide top left wing to your lineup that you haven't had. That's the only way I see him getting moved, unless they're ready to move on from him and they just try and get some more assets. But again, I, I don't know. I feel like he's the easiest guy to just move for picks and not have to worry about it, right? I mean, you've got maybe some guys who can step up into the lineup next year in Troy Terry, Max Jones, Sam Steele that can just fill in right on his spot on the third line and probably do just as good, if not a better job. So maybe they just move on and get rid of him. I, I don't even know, though, if they're ready to. Because they, they still seem to rely on him. And, and he doesn't get demoted too much for his play. They, they like to still stick him in on that third line. I think we only saw him get demoted once, right? When Troy Terry got put in the lineup, he got sent down to the fourth line. So yep. I, I don't feel like they're ready to move on. And, and I feel like, again, it, it's tough for Bob Murray as a GM to admit that he made a mistake in drafting Nick Ritchie 10th overall. And they're really all hoping... He's gonna just figure things out and be a late bloomer and get back to what they expected from him. I don't think it's gonna happen, and um, I don't want to say I'm ready to move on from him. But if it allows a different younger guy to get in the lineup, then yeah, I mean, good. get some assets while you can, and and just move on and, and hope that he does well in a, in a different system, and, and you know, deal with what you have and Steele and Jones and Terry and some of the other guys from San Diego.
0: All uh, right, do you want to get to some of our questions or do you want to hit the chat? What do you want to do here?
1: Uh, we'll we'll go through some of the questions we have on Twitter because they're easier for me to access right now. We had a bunch of questions earlier in the chat, so we'll get back to them before we finish, but um I'll go to Twitter right now because we had a bunch and I mean the the most of them are about kind of what we talked about on the last show where it was a lot of it involving Randy Carlyle and and Bob Murray. Uh, but we'll look into them. So let's see here. Uh, Victor said the team acquired some dinosaurs, namely Chimera and Kelly. Would well, the Ducks have been better off signing Marlowe and Thornton during the past offseason? Um, I mean, the Ducks were in if on you weren't gonna
0: pay If you were going to pay the Marlowe contract, I mean, $18 yeah. million over three years is a lot of scratch for a guy. Um, he's surrounded by fantastic players, fantastic young players, who are speedy in in toronto and i i love that team i picked them to beat the bruins in seven just so i can laugh at eddie <laughs> isn't one he doesn't want the bruins to lose um yeah i, I would have been great but i mean bob murray came out and said he knew after that loss in detroit that it wasn't the effort he was going to see that they needed to go out and make a move he felt like you know this group's got to prove it and that's why they didn't get anybody and i agree though bringing in captain canada and Jason Chimera was probably the incorrect decision. Um, bringing in help would have been the right decision on there. Yeah, And I'm kind of disappointed in that
1: move, to be honest with you. brings up a good point after that, too. If the Ducks had have gone out and got somebody last offseason, before the season started, would they really have had to trade away Sammy Vaughton in that? If they had that extra offensive piece in there that could have helped... Deal with the injuries rather than having to end up trading Sammy Vaughn and bringing in Adam Henrique, which of course we still love that trade, but it did expose a lot of holes on the back end for the Ducks, especially with Cam Fowler being hurt. Yeah, I mean, how about you don't give Kevin
0: Bieksa, you know, a no move clause uh, before yeah. he wears a Duck sweater, and then that True. solves your problem at the draft, and you don't have to get rid of Shea Theodore, which ultimately pisses me off the most. Um, great player, I mean, and there's no guarantee that he has the kind of year he's having now in Anaheim. But still, it hurts to see guys go off this team and play so well outside of your club when you just had them on there, you know, so recently. And with the blue line depth issues, I'd have been way more comfortable with Jay Theodore on the third pair than I have been seeing Andy Walensky or uh, Marcus Pedersen. No, no disrespect; those guys just aren't at that level yet.
1: Yeah, and maybe then you deal in, uh before you get to that point at the the fantasy at the fantasy draft at the expansion it was a fantasy draft. Draft, yeah so pretty much was the <laughs> you deal him then and then you don't have to worry about giving up a guy like Shea Theodore just to pretty much get Clayton Stoner's contract off the books i mean they were going to take one of Vatnen or Manson anyway because those were the guys you had to expose because apparently you couldn't um uh, BX couldn't waive his no movement clause that was the weirdest story of that entire expansion draft is that either he said no or they didn't ask him to. which The rumor was
0: they were going to ask him.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I never got a straight story from whether he said no or they didn't really ask him to do it because they they didn't think it was the right thing to do. I mean, it ended up hurting them in the end because if he does, then you can protect both Votnin and Manson, I'm pretty sure. And then it comes down to them just taking, I think, I don't remember who's available at the time it would have been like Antoine Vermette, or, or it wouldn't have mattered after that who they took, and you wouldn't have had to worry about giving up Shea Theodore. Not that uh, having Shea Theodore here would have been, you know, he would have been their savior, but you would have had him in the lineup right now instead of having Bosherman in there or uh, Patterson or Walensky to fill in. So of course that would be great, but it, it's easy to look back on it and say, yeah, you know that that's the easy thing to do. If Theodore was here, they would have been fine, but of course he isn't. And we can all look back and, and talk about the Vaughton and trade talk about what happened at the expansion draft, and think of things that would have made it better. But it, it's kind of too late now. No, I definitely agree. Um, so let's see. Uh, Clarissa brings up a question here that we had mentioned on the last show, but she said, now that the Ducks have been swept, do you think there's a chance Carlisle is replaced? So we talked about the fact that if they got swept, that might be... The only way we see Carlisle getting moved. So, do you think have you changed your tone from the last show? I think we both believed he wouldn't get moved out. But do you think now the fact that they've they've got swept and embarrassed by the Sharks that maybe he's on his way out? No,
0: no. He gets he gets the injury. He gets the injury pass. He gets yeah. the uh, the hall pass for that. It's not, nothing's changing in management. I, I can't see the Sam Willis going to Bob Murray and be like you got to fire your coach when they had like the third most man games lost this year. And Kessler's learning how to skate over again, still doing all kinds of treatment and in pain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you know what? He's icing the team that Bob Murray put in front of him. I mean, yeah. you got to look at it from that point of view, too. I mean, if you have a team like Pittsburgh with, you know, Crosby and Malkin and Latang, and you're getting crushed night in and night out, then you can't really go to your GM and be like, well, I need a better team. It's like, no, dude. You, <laughs> you need to figure mm-hmm. out a system that works around these stars. Yeah. Um, the Ducks, I mean, they don't have the, that kind of star power, but Getzloff's elite. Yeah. Um, and but they don't really have that upper echelon defenseman, that, that Norris candidate, as much as I love Hampus Lindholm. Um, they don't have that guy. So looking at this team that they're icing every night, defense was kind of a problem. That blue line depth we always talked about just wasn't there in the long run, and you kind of got to look to Bob Murray and looking at his player and personnel decisions and wonder if he's made the correct choices and given Randy Carlisle the best team to put on the ice then after night. But um, the discipline issues is what bugs me about Carlisle. And I guess that goes all the way through the leadership of the team. You have to control your temper, control your team. The Ducks took way too many penalties. And they've kind of been known for that under both uh, Carlisle and Bob Murray, right? Yeah. So I don't think that changes, though, right? It, it, as long as you have the same leadership in your, on your roster, you're not going to get rid of that effect. And I think that they like that old-school, old quote-unquote, branded type of hockey.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and that kind of goes into our second question, which is what do you think is the real plop, real problem with this team and how is it addressed in the offseason? I think that's the real problem with this team is the, the philosophy and, and the style they have set up is it just doesn't work anymore. And that's doesn't seem like it's going to change with the current regime that's in place in Bob Murray and Randy Carlisle unfortunately Uh, i mean uh, there's a lot of other issues that the ducks have to deal with but i think it all stems from that really i mean there's definitely some some issues up front in goal scoring and they could really use another top six winger but they've always needed a top six winger there's now some issues with depth on the blue line but i feel like those come behind the issues we have up front and, and and with the system in place and with the the way the ducks play and the style they play yeah. And I mean, not to bash
0: the franchise too much though, because yeah. you gotta look at all at the conference finals that they've been in, uh, deep playoff run, specific division titles. It's not like this team is garbage. I'm not saying that, but if you're at that window where you need to win, there's gotta be changes. I think the single handed, you know, thing that we need to change, like you said, is philosophy and systems. Yeah. I mean, things aren't working. And maybe that big style of you know, dump and chase hockey, grind it all along the boards and get it to the front of the net just isn't gonna work anymore um i don't necessarily think that just throwing speed on a team is the answer because you have to have guys that can play and you know that carl Haglin didn't work in anaheim we you know he's one of the faster players in the league and he didn't work out here he got moved mid-season or not even mid-season right it was pretty quick it seemed like he didn't get a lot of games in before he was gone um so yeah i I i think that's exactly it though i think it's a philosophy and a system issue they need to figure out that power play it's a shame. The kind yeah. of talent that's on that on this team that, and not able to produce there, uh, I would definitely have to go with systems and philosophy. I'm, I agree with you on that 100%. And it, it kind of starts with Bob Murray.
1: Yeah. And on the note of, of Carl Hagelin, too, I mean, Daniel brings up a good point. He said it's hard to play the speed game when you don't have many speed players. And I, I think that, I guess, kind of fits into that. Um, I well, we think talked that, about that. We felt like the Ducks weren't too slow. They're, they're not slow too slow, guys. but their system doesn't utilize speed. Right. I mean, it's it's dump and chase. It's it's along the boards. It's heavy hockey, and it doesn't utilize the speed per se. I mean, they've got some faster players, of course. Andre Kasha, uh, Ricard Raquel, Cogliano, Stilfordberg to some extent as well. Adam Henrique isn't necessarily slow, so you've got some faster guys. But uh, the way they set up isn't, isn't really set up to utilize the speed in the lineup. They're, they're set up to be that type of physical, big-hitting Western Conference team of the past along the boards. Uh, and it's getting exposed against some teams that are that really know how to beat that. I mean, the Sharks exposed them for that, and they let them go to the outside. They said, hey, if you want to play along the boards, go ahead, play along the boards. We're going to shut down the center of the ice, and we're going to limit your chances. And they did that. And, and it. I think that's the first time that I've seen where the Ducks have really been exposed for the way they play. I mean, we've seen it at times during the regular season, but for a stretch of four games where they were just completely outplayed because of the way they set up and, and the way, you know, the physical brand of hockey that they play. Um, I don't know if that signals change or not, but it should. We were talking
0: about it. And the way they play, they cut in on the half wall and look for the trailing guy, Look to throw it in the front of the net. And it seems like by the time they did that in the Sharks series, the, the, the zone was just clogged full of players. Um, you got to be able to trade on the rush. That's what speed teams do. So, yeah, I think it's definitely a systems thing. Um and looking at the chat really quick, uh, I was seeing here it says you're more of a prospects guy, Eddie, so maybe you can help uh me out here. But Daniel in chat says Murray's been drafting a lot more speed skilled players the last couple of drafts just not ready. Um, I mean obviously I know Max Jones, I know Sam Steele, and I know Maxine Comtois, but is there anybody else in the system that maybe not the the average fan is aware of, um, that could be coming up through the draft and through the AHL and help this Ducks team out in the near future?
1: I think uh, on the note of them drafting more speed-skilled players, I think that, it's for the most part, is true. I mean, it really started back with Troy Terry, uh, and they drafted Julius and who was sort of that type of player as well. And then it really showed in 2016, getting Sam Steele and Tyler Soy and Alex Dostee and, and Max Jones again. I mean, he is a quicker player. He's still, he's still that type of guy that Bob Murray likes with that heavy style and, and almost like Nick Ritchie kind of mold, but a lot quicker player and a lot smarter player on offense. And then, it, again, it showed a bit in the last draft getting Antoine Moran, but they still do like those those big guys because they went out and they drafted Maxime Comtoir with their first pick. And he is a skilled player, but he is a bigger guy, uh, and, and he's almost in, in the same type of mold as, as Max Jones, where he's a bit quicker. He's that big goal-scoring winger, but he can still play on the edge and be physical. So it, it's kind of a mix of both. I mean, they they definitely have gone the skill route and the speed route and the smaller type of guys with Steele and with Miranda and, and with Tyler Soy and those types of players. But they still do like their big guys. It'll be interesting to see who they get at this draft and the way they go. But as somebody mentioned in the chat earlier, I mean, they usually like to just draft the best guy available for the most part. I mean, we've seen that's them the, do that's, that. the,
0: that's the smartest move. I yeah, think I feel like.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've they've kind of leaned heavily on forwards lately. I mean, you look at the the last draft, they drafted five... Or so 2016, they drafted five forwards, one defenseman. Last year, they drafted four forwards and one goaltender. So they've been drafting and stocking up on forwards, which makes sense. So it looks like they're just trying to take the best forward available for the most part. I mean, there hasn't been a lot of quality defensemen available. I mean, the draft has been stacked with forwards for the last few years. This year, it's pretty heavy in the first round on defense. So it'll be interesting to see which route they take, probably getting a pick around 18 to 22 depending on on how everything finishes out but as for guys that are ready to come up i I mean it it really is max jones sam Steele, and troy terry i i don't think tyler soy he just finished his last year in uh, junior hockey he's most likely with san diego next year i don't think he's ready maxim comtois will probably have another year in junior same with antoine moran and that's pretty it uh pretty much it other than the guys and the goals but if you're looking at guys who are going to make a big impact possibly next season for the Ducks, if they get a a considerable amount of ice time, it would be Sam Steele, Max Jones, and Troy Terry, although I think it's better suited for them to probably start the season in San Diego and play some more minutes. But those are the guys right now. Those are the big three that we're really looking to push the next movement for the Ducks.
0: All right, let's get to the next one here. I know we're running a little long tonight.
1: Yeah, we've got a ton of questions again, which I, I mean, it was so... Everybody who came in the chat, I know if you weren't there last time, but even if you're in here this time, I mean, good on you guys for coming out and joining, uh, joining the chat after two, two bad losses, the 8-1 loss and, of course, the, the season. I mean, we love you guys coming out no matter what, but it's great to see everybody out here on a loss and, and really contributing in the chat and asking the questions. It, it helps the show flow along. It's great for us, and we love to see the interaction in the chat and everybody just talking Ducks hockey. So thank you, everybody who is coming out in the chat, Or even everybody listening the next day. We've got a lot of comments recently from a lot of you talking about how you enjoyed the show, and it's been great listening to us. So I just want to send a, a bit of a shout-out to everybody there for participating in it. Um, let's let's move on to the next question. So we had Christopher, he's, he said here, with L.A. and Anaheim being swept, is it safe to say goodbye to heavy hockey team area? And this goes right off what we talked about and then he said, What changes do the Ducks need to make in order to keep up with today's NHL? Oh, well,
0: we kind of covered that. I think it should be goodbye to heavy hockey for the most part. Yeah. Unless you have um, just big guys who can skate, right? And like a Blake Like Wheeler. The Winnipeg Jets. And that yeah. guy can skate. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait. yeah. No, that was just mentioned in our chat. Yeah. yeah. The Jets. That's a prime example mm-hmm. of having a big team that can skate. Yeah. Unless you're able to pick that player up, which, I mean, it's not easy to get. I mean, yeah. you can wish and want all you want. I mean, getting drafting guys like that is just really difficult. I mean, the Jets—we've been talking about the Jets as, as hockey fans for a few years now. About when are they going to be good? When are they going to be good? And holy hell, they're good this year. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's hard to draft that way. It came through a long process. You can't just trade your way into a Stanley Cup anymore. Um, I mean, at least unless you have a good core of players already. But yeah, that's if you could build your team like the Jets, go for it. <laughs>
1: it's yeah and like you said it's not easy and it's not like they're all big guys either i mean they've got a lot of smaller skill guys in there and ehlers and connor uh, and perot even he was a big part of their team this year and it just so happens that with wheeler and shifley and line they've got some bigger guys up front and they like to throw the body around it of course that blue line is just a bunch of massive guys down there with jacob truba and tyler myers and and dustin bufflin i mean that's that's a, a bunch of big men back on the blue line, and, and it's t- difficult to build a team like that. I mean, it's a lot of credit to to the way they've been able to build their team and still compete, having a, a lot of heavier guys, but they play a style that is reminiscent of what is needed to win today in the NHL, and and, and I think it is a good buy to heavy thought hockey. I think you look at the two teams who made the playoffs that still play that way got swept in the first round in the Ducks and the Kings. They're really the only two teams left. Maybe not in the entire league, but definitely of the teams that made the playoffs that still play that way. And they got their, their asses handed them, for lack of a better word, by the by the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights and the San Jose Sharks. So I think yeah. he's right. It, it really is, if not the end, it's pretty close to it. Let's hope so. Yeah. I, 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 it's a lot more fun watching the... I mean, of course, we'd like to see the Ducks still in it, but it is a lot more fun watching teams like Vegas and Winnipeg and, and Pittsburgh all fly around the ice and and i mean even the oilers when when they're playing on their game and a lot of that goes through Connor mcdavid but it's a lot more fun watching that style of hockey than watching the big old bruising western conference teams from the past and that was fun to watch because the ducks were good and that's what they're good at at the time but i don't think it competes with the way hockey's played today yeah i agree uh let's get some of the questions in the chat now so Uh, I guess we'll look at this question from Chase. He asked earlier, but he brought it up again here. It goes back to the draft. Uh, What do you think the Ducks focus on in this year's draft if you had to pick between forward or defense?
0: Um, I'm going to say they look at a goaltender or defenseman. Um, I think they've been drafting well with with forwards. Um, And we saw the, the issues with blue line depth. You don't think you have it. Or you think you have it, and then you have injuries, and then you don't. So I, I would see them maybe drafting another you know, defenseman or even, another goal, even a, even a goaltender coming up.
1: Yeah, I I think I would still like to see one. I mean, with the first round pick, I would still like to see another forward come into this lineup. I feel like you know, you've know you got your good pieces in Steele and Jones and Comtois. But again, I, I feel like those are second-line players when they hit the NHL, probably as their top ceiling. The Ducks are in need of of really that that elite forward prospect. And I, I don't think you get that at where they're drafting. Maybe you can get a steal. I mean, Barzell was a, a middle-of-the-pack pick, and, and that was a huge hit for the Islanders. I'm not saying you can get that in every draft. But there are guys that end up falling around 12 to 18 that end up being uh, elite offensive players in the National Hockey League. And it's it's happening less and less with the quality of scouting nowadays. But I, th- I think you go forward just to hope you hit on that guy because they, they need somebody down the road, that is going to replace the type of production that Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Prairie bring to the lineup. I mean, a core right now of Ricard Raquel, Andre Kasha, Sam Steele, Max Jones, Maxim Comto looks pretty nice, but you still need, especially up the middle, that number one center. And I feel like long-term, Sam Steele is probably a number two guy, even though it would be great to see him playing with Ricard Raquel in the future. I think you go center if you can, but I mean... The way when I anytime I've looked at the draft this year, it looks heavily, heavily stacked with defensemen all around that middle part of the draft. And if the Ducks are going to take the best guy available, it probably does end up being a defenseman. I wouldn't be surprised. And as we already mentioned, Krylov does like to get the best guy available when he can.
0: And that's the Bob Murray special
1: defenseman. He drafts yeah. him well. We we all know all about that Swedish defenseman. Usually, <laughs> true. No, that's true. <laughs> uh, Connor brought up a question earlier too he said this series has confused him with Walensky, Pedersen and Larson obviously the former two playing the latter being a scratch tonight what are your thoughts on these guys next year
0: on Walensky and Pedersen
1: uh, yeah and then to some extent Larson even though we haven't seen him, like where do you think they fit in next year and, and what, what kind of roles are they given I think Walensky has some seasoning to do uh, it's not his fault for the way he looked yeah.
0: um he was kind of thrown in the fire here the late season and playoffs it's hard to put a lot on on the way he's played um also being paired with a rookie most of the time with marcus petterson that's also tough too and i don't think petterson's all been all that terrible recently i feel like he's had some good moments but same thing goes for him it's his first stint he's only played um i don't know how many games has he played 30 i have to go back and check his actual stats apologize for not that on the top of my head um he hasn't been amazing, but I don't think he's been terrible. I think no. next season you would see him paired with somebody else uh, from the Ducks system, or unless they go and grab somebody in the offseason. But I think Walensky has some more seasoning to do. I would love to see Jacob Larson get a shot. Uh, we've been talking about that nonstop for 20 episodes because it's like, wait a minute, why is this guy all of a sudden high on the chart and then not playing? It's um, just interesting. And uh, maybe he'll get his chance in training camp and make and make some noise, and we'll get to, we'll get a chance to to check out what he what he brings to this Ducks team.
1: Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see where they fit in because there's going to be a lot of change just on that that bottom pairing next year with Boschman gone for sure. BX is probably out the door. I believe Holzer's contract is up too, but again, he probably wasn't a guy that was ever gonna be uh, a a guy who could fit in on that uh, five or six spot for the Ducks. So it is all the kids. It's Jacob Begna, it's Marcus Pedersen, it's Andy Walinski, it's Jakob Larson, it's any of those guys down in San Diego. It's you know, their job to be had at this point unless the Ducks go out and get a depth defenseman. So I I'll I want to I still really wanna see what Jakob Larson can bring because we haven't seen him at all. I mean this is to me this is one of the biggest surprises of the season that we haven't seen Jakob Larson for one game. And I mean a lot of people mentioning in the chat and on Twitter that uh yeah, he was brought up, but a lot of AHL teams do that. I mean, we saw Columbus today because uh, the—I they, think they've changed it to Cleveland. Their season is over, so they just brought up they just brought up a bunch of guys from Cleveland onto their roster because their rosters are unlimited at this point. You can just have them all scratched on your roster, and if you want to throw them when you can, it, it's just that option, right? So I feel like that's why he was brought up, but I just can't believe we haven't seen him once. I mean, it would have it been nice to see what he could do, especially late in the season— when we were still playing peterson and walensky
0: yeah i mean he, he's got to get a chance you know for sure when you're talking about training camp i mean that's where we're going to see him next and i think there's a good chance we could see him in the regular season but i mean the big guys that have given that have been given the opportunity were walensky and peterson and i would expect that they'd be given the first opportunity again unless somebody wows in training camp
1: yeah they have to be and you know, of all the names, and there's a lot of guys in San Diego as well, not just on defense, up on forward as well, guys that we've expected to already make this lineup in Nickerdale. He's is a guy we haven't really seen. Cali Costello, we saw at times. Kevin Waugh is still down in San Diego, and you add into the mix, like we've already mentioned, Troy Terry, Max Jones, Sam Steele. I mean, if, any, if they don't make the Ducks next year, no matter what, San Diego's going to be a scary team and they're going to be a fun team to watch. I mean, you've got pretty much all the same guys that are going to be there and they're a borderline playoff team this year. And then you add into the mix, I mean, what are probably going to be three of their best players next year, Max Jones, Sam Steele, and Troy Terry. I mean, they're going to almost at times be more fun and uh, more exciting to watch than the Ducks on occasion because they're going to be all those guys that we, we can't wait to see in Anaheim playing a lot of minutes down in San Diego and hopefully having successful seasons. And maybe, earning call-ups i mean we've talked about this before and and how tight the ducks top nine is especially up front right now whether we're going to see any of them get called up at all or make the team remains to be seen but e- either way that's going to be a fun team to watch in san diego isn't it i mean it especially if dallas deacons is still there yeah no it definitely is dallas deacons is one of the best
0: Coaches, when it comes to bringing up and uh, and training prospects in, in the systems, and he's proven that with Anaheim and the goals. I mean, they've been a fantastic team since his arrival, and uh, the depth has proven that for Anaheim when there's been injuries.
1: Yeah, uh, I guess a last question we can sum it up with here, and uh, apologize because I don't remember who said this. I just picked it up earlier from in the chat, uh, but it, it's just a general question about the playoffs. He asked, "Who do we think is going to win the cup?" And then what are our expectations next year for the Ducks?
0: Um, shoot. Looking at this, I would love to see the Leafs win the Cup with an American captain. Uh, Austin Matthews on that team,
1: right? Is he the captain on that team? Uh, There's no captain on the Leafs, but... There's no captain. Well, in my heart, he is because he's American. (laughs) and Obviously... um, if
0: the Ducks can't win, I want to see the best American player step up and, and win a Stanley Cup, and uh, that way when all the Canadians are happy the Cup went back. there. we going to say that an American brought it to them? Um, but if not for them, I don't really realistically think they're going to win. I really feel like it's going to be the National Predators. I feel like it's their year. I know that Pecorino has not had the best start to his playoffs. In fact, he's been abysmal. Um, but they won tonight 3-2. to two. And I think they're going to clean house with all, with uh, Colorado, and uh, they'll be on to the next round, and that's going to be a bloodbath between Nashville and Winnipeg next uh, next series. But I think uh, Nashville's got the experience and the depth to take care of
1: them, and they'll move on and win the Cup. You know, Nashville, okay. Um, before we get into the Ducks next season, I, I'm going to stick with my pick. I, I feel like it's going to be Winnipeg out of the west and Boston out of the east, and I feel like Winnipeg ends up taking it probably – in about six six games I feel like I I just again I'm, I'm not I don't want to turn this into a Jets podcast but I feel like they're just such a complete team and they're a handful to deal with I mean credit to Minnesota for stealing a game at home and, and just dumping them six to two but I think that was a one-off for the Jets and and they're going to be a scary team to deal with but let's get back to the ducks uh, what are your expectations for this team next season with everybody healthy assuming everybody's ready to go at the start of next year?
0: Um, a lot of the same. Yeah. I, I think they're going to get the division spot and they're going to make the playoffs, but they're not going to go deep unless... If you're looking at the roster as it sits right now, Yeah, that's what I get. That's what I get out of it. You're not going to see a lot change. Um, It was fun to talk about the Corey Perry, Ryan Getzloff situation. It's always great to speculate, but with full no-move clauses and gigantic salaries, we all know that that's a f- very, very slim chance of moving. Yeah. Um, unless the Ducks are willing to really just move everything possible out of the way to make that happen um so yeah i think you're gonna see a lot of the same even if everyone's healthy you're looking at guys who are a year older Mm. and with a roster that just has been super inconsistent when they are healthy uh, which after christmas this roster was pretty healthy um they went on a short bit of a run but i mean we saw the third line offense dry up uh, with the Henrik line they weren't able to produce as much as they were when they went they got streaky and then kind of died off and then we saw the Kessler line never really regain their potency from last year which I know is kind of unfair to judge but I mean all those guys are a year older too um, I hate to say be ready for disappointment come the playoffs but we I mean, just don't have super high expectations this if you're looking at the same roster they're
1: not going to win a cup no and uh, I mean it, we don't know what they're going to do in the offseason we don't know who's going to be gone and who's going to come in but if if we're just making assumptions that they're going to come in with pretty much the same lineup and have the kids on the bottom pairing and then have Patrick Eves back and everybody healthy to start the season, I, I think you're right. It's going to be pretty much the same because if we look at the at the Pacific Division and we break down – I mean, we can do this real quick – and we break down teams who we think they're better than. So if we start at the top of the end, I mean, in my opinion, I don't think they're better than Vegas, especially if Vegas ends up going out and, and getting Eric Carlson or anybody of that nature. And it, it's something I didn't expect to be saying at the beginning of the year especially now that uh, the, the Vegas Golden Knights are a better team than pretty much everybody in the Pacific Division but they are i, I mean you have to you have to say that Vegas is better than the Ducks right yeah unfortunately
0: yeah. you have to i don't know what you're what you going to what, what kind of argument you're going to have otherwise yeah. there's no way
1: yeah and then you've got San Jose which if they bring back Evander Kane they'll have a full season of Joe Thornton any acquisitions they make or even if they don't i feel like they're probably a better team still than the Ducks and they've shown that I think it's close, but if they can get an actual good season from Martin Jones and not tank in the last month of the season, they would have coasted to second in the division. I feel like there's still a better team than the Ducks, even with the Ducks fully healthy. So then you have Anaheim fighting for again for that last spot with a team that's also on the on the trend downwards in the LA Kings. You've got them fighting with possibly the Edmonton Oilers if they can rebound and have you know, somewhat of a season to support <laughs> Connor McDavid next year. But they could. I mean, they're a team, again, you know, they're a team oh. that you, you still worry about them because of Connor McDavid, right? You know, if they can piece any bit of some, some kind of offense or defense or goaltending around him, he can easily win them games. Uh, so they're going to be fighting with, with Edmonton. They're going to be fighting with L.A. I honestly think they're going to be fighting with Calgary because I, I feel like Calgary is a better team. Then what happened, they'll have a new coach in Calgary. They'll hopefully have some type of goaltending there. So that's a team you're going to be fighting with. And I think the big surprise, too, is is maybe Arizona. Maybe they finally figure some things out down there. They've got a lot of young kids coming up. They're going to be going into their second seasons. Auntie Ranta signed a, a contract extension there. They're a team that I think is going to surprise some people. So you've got the Ducks essentially fighting with four teams to get into the playoffs next year. It's, it's going to be another battle, I feel like. I don't think they're going to be much better than they were this year I think there could be some struggles with especially a lot of those teams in, in the Pacific Division getting better and you know the Ducks are going to benefit of course from having maybe a, a lot healthier Ryan Kessler I think we both believe he's not going to be back to his old self you're going to have Patrick Eves but again we don't really know what kind of Patrick Eves we're going to get I mean we already had that question going into the season before even, even knowing about his illness if we're going to get the same type of Patrick Eves because that was a a career best season for him so that could come into play especially with maybe his fitness because of the illness and then you have suspect on the blue line as well You know, if, if somebody goes out injured we have, we're, we're experiencing the same problems we are right now so it, it'll be uh, an interesting season to say the least and, and who knows if John Gibson is going to have this type of season again you know what I mean uh, he had a Vezina quality season which he should have got nominated but he didn't and uh, you never know if he's going to be consistent enough to keep this up next year
0: Well, I have a hard time believing that Edmonton's going to turn around and put up another 20 (laughs) points this season. Same thing with Vancouver. They're not going anywhere. Or Arizona. Those three teams I have a hard time seeing making any major strides. I mean, that Edmonton team has ran Cam Talbot into the ground. Um, Adam Larson obviously was not the player they expected when trading away. um, A player like Taylor Hall, which is probably one of the dumbest moves that Edmonton has made, which is saying something because Taylor Hall is just tearing it up in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, I really feel like Calgary could make that next step, and LA. I mean, they need scoring. It's kind of like what Anaheim has. Uh, they need scoring in Anaheim. They need depth scoring to kind of boost up that offense. They both scored around the same amount of goals, and they both had low goals against because they had great goaltending this year. So depth scoring, I think we should look to add for both. I mean, look look for both those teams to add, and they were both hot on that trail to do that at the trade deadline. Um, but yeah, I think we're going to see the same team, unfortunately maybe a little worse same team though
1: yeah i don't know if you want to get to it because we're getting kind of long here and i don't want to talk about it too long but you want to quickly talk about john gibson getting a bit of a snub for the vesna i'll make it quick um it's bs uh
0: my buddy jay who i do the puck guys with he disagrees he felt like gibby was top five our friend friend of the show hannah you know you know who hannah is she said the same thing she that she felt that gibson was top five not top three i have a hard time uh, agreeing with that, I feel like Gibby could have easily taken over Vasilevsky, and that would have been the person that would have pulled out to put Gibson in in the in the uh, nominations.
1: Yeah, and we had uh, Paul Campbell on the show before where he thought it was uh, Renee Gibson and Bobrovsky, and I honestly have to agree with him. I and mean, I saw a lot of people putting the th- the same things out there. I feel like Hellebuck has a case because I feel like he had a, a pretty good season, especially with Winnipeg and, and what he did. But I. You know, I feel like Vasilevsky's on there because of the beginning part of his season. I mean, he was mediocre at best for the second half of the season with Tampa Bay, and he really relied on the fact that that team was just so good that he was still able to pick up wins. He had some very bad starts, especially late on, and I feel like he benefited from that early success and the fact that he was a favorite at the midpoint to get him into a nomination this year. Uh, I honestly feel like Gibson, for sure, was a guy who got snubbed. Bobrovsky, again, is another guy who got snubbed. So if I if I had a pick, which of course I don't, but I would have had Rene winning it with Gibson and Bobrovsky right behind him.
0: Yeah, I could see that.
1: Yeah. People I wouldn't that with that one. And now, last thing, because I know we're getting long here, but people actually thought that Marc-Andre Fleury should have been nominated for the of this year, playing about 40, not? 40 games. Did he only play 40 games? Yeah, he didn't play a lot. Yeah, I'm gonna he, check that. I thought he had more than that. It wasn't. I mean, it was. It, well, I don't think it was enough for him to get considered. I mean, he had a good season, but I don't think it was. He played, he played 46, 46 games. games. That, that's yeah. not enough, right? I mean, his numbers were good. No, he was good, but that that was a little bit ridiculous to me. I saw somebody say, Auntie Ranta got shafted a bit." <laughs> he that's had a saying. hell of a, of a comeback he, after his he bad did. start and injury. But, like, uh, those types of things always just make me laugh a bit. I mean, again, Antiranta played 47 games, and he picked up 21 wins. Uh, and I hate quoting wins, but there's no way uh, he would have got anywhere close to that, that situation. But let's wrap this up, because now we're almost at an hour and a half here. Um, All right, well, I want to
0: answer one question we didn't get to. Sure, I want to yeah. do, uh, on Twitter, uh, Jimmy asked what we were drinking tonight. I drank an <laughs> uh, Arrogant Bastard Ale. And I also drink Modern Times, uh, Fortunate Islands. So that's what got me through the game tonight. I'm, I'm not sure what you were doing, but that's what I, I was. My drink of choice.
1: I feel like my answers are always going to be shitty because uh, <laughs> I was. If you say
0: Bud Light Lime, I'm going to question our friendship.
1: No, because right now I, I'm like <laughs> living out of like a closet essentially until I I get moved. So I have like nothing in my house, and I'm also studying for an exam. So I was literally like drinking iced tea. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, like just regular like nest tea, iced tea because that's pretty much all I have in my house right now and I have like no way to go get anything else so and like the other day my answer was water which was even worse because I was sick so my answers right now are are pretty bad <laughs> compared to yours so I'm sorry oh, Jimmy. that's all right that is uh I know that's not the answer you're looking for but that is uh, I was drinking iced tea as boring as it is <laughs>
0: Ah, no big deal. We understand you guys. You guys still have ice and uh, ice raining from the skies in Toronto, yeah. so it's hard for you to go out and get anything as it is. But uh, let's give a shout out to everybody again, man. Everybody who tuned in for the fir- for the first time tonight. I know Diane was one of them. She said it was her first time tuning in. She loved the show. All of our regulars who've come on: Gordon Bombay, Jimmy's always here, uh, Derek, Chase. Um, I mean, Jacob was er, uh, Jacob's on here. And then Daniels come on a bunch in this in this show.
1: Connor, Miguel, Drew. I mean just everybody. Yeah. Just, uh, we we can amazing. go we can go all day because there's a bunch of you guys that are in here all the time, and there's a bunch it's, of people in here new today. It's it's great. It's great to see. Honestly, it's midnight here.
0: It's three a.m. where you're at. We have over 200 messages in our chat. 240. Um, an incredible run for us. I think this is show 22. Mm-hmm. so not a bad showing for us this season we didn't miss a game we hit every one of them even when i had to be late or the next day so thanks for putting up with that eddie i appreciate that and uh like always if you guys haven't already and you love us please give us a shout out anywhere uh it would be great if you could go onto itunes and click a five star click a subscribe and uh get help get the word out um we are trying not to go dark for the summer so you know meaning that we're going to try to put some sort of uh content out there we haven't decided what or how but we want to do something to kind of keep some momentum going before next season that way we don't fall off your guys's radar and uh, we'll get to you guys with that as soon as possible but um if you could leave a message for us anywhere and spread the word that'd be great go to a forum do something to, to get the word out for us we'd love it you got anything to add buddy before we wrap up for the season
1: yeah, last thing is of course with the duck season ending today. Anybody who entered into the Forever Mighty Three Stars leaderboard, the final one will be coming out tomorrow. Uh, will be I'll be announcing the winner. The winner uh, will be end up getting a jersey from Cool Hockey. Last time I checked, it was Chelshock and Cole Wish who were leading. So one of them probably, unless somebody made a dramatic comeback tonight, uh, has won a jersey from Cool Hockey. We will also have a giveaway in May courtesy of cool hockey not sure if it will be a jersey it'll either be that or a 50 dollars gift card to cool hockey either way we'll be having a giveaway we're going to figure out how we're going to do that it's not going to be uh well probably not going to be the the three stars leaderboard unless we decide to do that for the other games in the playoffs we'll figure it out either way we will have a giveaway from that and i'll announce the winner for for everybody three stars tomorrow
0: That's awesome. And, hey, Neil, thanks for the the shout-out on there. Miguel, too. Everyone's just saying they appreciate us. Ruben, as well. So, man, it's awesome to see the feedback, guys. And we'll be back. And we'll probably – I think we should do like a season-ending summary. Maybe yeah. we'll, try to, we'll try to work that wind, work that in here in the next couple of days or maybe in a week or so after things settle and we all,
1: we all are done being depressed and sad. For <laughs> sure. Yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to work that in there. And, and probably – I mean most of the shows again that we do later on will probably be live too. So we'll give you some kind of notice ahead of time so that you can all come out and get in the chat. I mean it's a lot more fun to do it live and have the interaction there than to record it separately and post it up later.
0: All right, so and I think we answered John's question. He said, do you guys still do podcasts during the off offseason? Um, we will definitely have more content for that, but Eddie does um, the Ducks and Pucks with Mike, and I do the Puck Guys, which covers the NHL. I do that with my buddy Jason, so you guys can see us on our other shows, but definitely stay aware of Forever Mighty. We're not going to go away. We're definitely going to be doing stuff this off season. so stay tuned on all of the social media. We love you guys so much. Let's go, Ducks. Let's have a, uh, a nice time watching the playoffs without stress, and we'll talk to <laughs> you guys soon.